Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. This week we're going to circle back around now and we're going to pick up where we left off in our study of John's gospel, his account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We have made our way to chapter 17. We have read each and every word of John and looked at it. We left off with Jesus telling the disciples and every believer really since then how a follower can experience joy in the midst of the crises of life. Jesus stated that He had overcome the world and that if we surrender our lives to Him and if we follow Him, we too will be overcomers in the world. Where we left off, Jesus and His disciples had just arrived in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's got His guys around. Judas is already over betraying Him as, as, uh, as we read the Scripture this morning. Judas is, is going to be the traitor but his 11 are around him and probably uh, some of the women are with them. And they're in the garden now. John chapter 17 has been called the greatest prayer ever prayed in human history. So we must enter into our time of study here today with a great deal of humility and reverence as we seek to understand the holiest of prayers. For we are entering into, in essence, the Holy of Holies. Today we have the awesome privilege of listening in on the Son of God, King Jesus' personal conversation and His prayer to His Almighty Father and our Almighty Father. Imagine what this looks like just for a moment. We have seen Jesus go and pray, and and we've been told He went up to the hillside to pray, but we have not heard Him pray, and He's going to pray a prayer that will knock your socks off. Imagine just for a moment what this would look like. All of heaven, which is routinely filled with the worship and praise to the Father, as we just sang, angels falling down before the Almighty Father, the elders and, and those who have gone ahead of us are involved in this praise and worship service that never ends. And, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And heaven is just rocking. But then, in a moment, they fall silent when Jesus Christ pauses and He looks up to heaven And He's going to speak to His Father and my Father and your Father. And we're going to hear this prayer. In just a matter of minutes, God's one and only Son will be arrested, tried, and found guilty of a crime He didn't commit. He will be beaten within an inch of His life, only to be nailed and then hung on a cross for you and for me in the ultimate miscarriage of justice that this world will ever know, all for our sake. Jesus will experience great agony and pain. He will ask the Father to forgive them, those that placed Him up on the cross, and then He will transact the greatest act of grace and mercy this world will ever know when He takes on our sins and He gives us His righteousness in return in what I call the glorious exchange. He took 
our sin individually, our sins. He took them from us. And then in exchange, He gave us His righteous robe that we wear today. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been made righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything He did. His blood ran down the cross. The blood that day should have been ours, but it was His. And in that glorious exchange, we became the righteous children of our Father. I'd like to give you an overview, kind of an order of the prayer, if you will. First, Jesus is going to pray for Himself. And really, it's an announcement to His Father that He's carried out everything that the Father's told Him to do. He's going to give a report back to the Father. And then He asks the Father that if He would be glorified by what He's about to do on the cross and that the Father would glorify Him in return. This is the beginning of the prayer. Second, he prays for the disciples in their hour of need that his father would keep the disciples close to himself. Because these young guys, and, and they're, they're estimated to be anywhere from 14 to 17 years of age, if you can imagine that. I think back when I was 15, what? and that's not a good thing to think about. I was squirrely. And these guys are these are teenagers that have followed him now for years. And they're about to go through the most difficult and worst 24 hours of their lives. Jesus prays for them. And then third, he prays for you and I. All the believers down through the corridor of history, Jesus can see down through time. He's not limited to time. He can see the beginning and the end all at once. And He sees all those of us that will believe for us 2,000 years later. And He prays for you and He prays for me. He prays for the church that it would be one. We're going to talk about that in a moment. He prayed for the disciples. Safety, joy, unity. And for their future glorification in heaven when they would at last see Him as He truly is. And one day we are going to close our eyes down here perhaps if we're not raptured, and I prefer the rapture myself. My friend and mentor, Dr. David Jeremiah, says he's looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. <laughs> and, and boy, I'd say amen to that every time. But one day, whether it's through death or through the rapture, there's going to be an instance, a twinkling of eye. It's not a blink of an eye. A blink takes, you know, one one hundredth of a second, a twinkling in a eye. I don't know how they measure that. You're going to be standing, if you've received the gift that he's trying to offer everyone, we're going to be standing suddenly in his presence, face to face, for the first time ever. And so we shall be with the Lord forever, Revelation said. And we're going to behold the Son of God in all his glory. It's going to be a moment that takes our breath away. And I've been asked, what, do you, what, would, what would you do when you first see Jesus? Well, I, all I can imagine that I'm going to do is fall down in His presence. And when I eventually get to stand up and look at Him and see the two scars in His palms of His hands, I'll understand the only reason I'm here is because of Him. Not because of me. It's going to be something. And Jesus 
prays in his prayer that they might behold me and, and my glory that you gave me, Father, from the beginning, from before the beginning of the foundation of the world. Jesus' desire is that we go to heaven with him and spend eternity with him. He prays, you'll hear all this. This, this is why it's the greatest prayer in all human history. In this prayer, I've pulled out four entitlements for believers, four entitlements for believers that come with this prayer. Here's entitlement number one, the entitlement of sharing his eternal life. When you give your life to Christ, when you grab hold of that gift of forgiveness from the Father and you begin to follow Jesus, you become a Christ follower, a Christian. Put up, you know, There's lots of names for that. And you begin to walk with Him and part of His gift as you open this up is eternal life with Him in a place called heaven. Let's begin to read verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and I quote, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given Him authority over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. Jesus knows it's coming. He knows that He's been betrayed. He knows the soldiers are en route to get Him. He knows that he's going to be tried. In fact, he'll go through six trials before he's beaten and then placed. He knows this is all coming. And he just asks the Father to bring glory to him and that he might bring glory to the Father. Verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. The disciples are around him, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He's reporting back to the Father, I've done everything, it's complete. And later in just a few hours, he will say, it is finished. He's finished the work. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was Jesus set aside His glory when He came into the flesh on earth. The disciples could not behold His glory. They didn't see Him in all His glory. They saw Jesus the man. As painful and and heart-wrenching as the cross would be, Jesus saw the agony and looked into eternity. He saw the multitude of sinners that would be saved by this humble act of suffering. He saw you and He saw me down through the corridors of time. And He saw us restored to the Father for all eternity, enjoying the Father and the Son as, as we unpeel the endless blessings of knowing God personally. We will never, ever, for throughout all eternity, we will never reach the end of knowing God. There's going to always be more. There's always going to be this wow factor that we didn't know as we enjoy the Father more and more throughout all eternity. The word for glory is used eight times in this prayer. So it is a key word that God wants us to know about. Jesus glorified the Father through His miracles on earth. 
as, as he would do a miracle, as he, as he healed blind Bartimaeus, as we've read in weeks past, or, or the, the cripple, or I mean, just go on and on, how many people we don't know, but it likely was thousands upon thousands of people. He would heal people well into the night and into the wee hours of the morning. He wouldn't turn anyone away. And as he would go city to city, of course, they'd line up all the sick, lame, and, and, and he would heal them. We don't know how many. But each time he did that, he brought glory to his father and he gave his father glory. So people understood that he came from the father. In fact, Nicodemus says no one can do these works lest he comes from the father. He brought his father glory when he obediently laid down his life for us. No one took his life, he says. No one takes my life. I lay it down. No one forced Jesus on the cross. He laid his life down because he knew what was going to be the results of that salvation for you and for me another key word here is the word give and it's used in its various conjugations 17 times here seven times we are referred to as the gift or or, or to give and the gift God gave you and I his people the redeemed God gave us as a gift to his son these are yours Why? Because Jesus paid the price for us. We belong to Christ. We're His gift. The Father gave us to His Son. That's beautiful. Eternal life is mentioned some 17 times here. It is coupled with the free gift that I just spoke of, given to those who believe on His Son. Eternal life is the gift of increasingly knowing God more intimately throughout all eternity. That's the gift of eternal life. It is a personal relationship with Him that begins the moment that you surrender your life to Christ. The relationship doesn't begin when we get to heaven. No, it begins the moment you receive Christ, that you surrender yourself to Him. That's when the gift begins and the relationship begins. Note here, by the way, that Satan's plan is for us to remain ignorant of this. We have the opportunity to plug into the gift even now. The moment you surrender your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in you and He wants to teach you. He wants to guide you in all things. And and the relationship begins at that moment. We're looking at four entitlements for believers. Entitlement one, the entitlement of sharing His eternal life. And here's entitlement number two, the entitlement of knowing His true name. There was a lawyer in a metropolitan city that was leaving his firm one night and he was walking to his car. He saw a dirty homeless man on the sidewalk leaned up against a building. He took pity on the street person and told him that he wanted to help him out. He took out a pen and wrote a check to the man and told him to take the check to the bank just down the street. He told him to take the money and get some food, a a room in which he could get a hot shower and, and have a couple of nights just to sleep in the safety of a bed. And the next morning, the lawyer was walking into his business and he saw the same man again. He asked him, why hadn't he followed his instructions? The homeless man replied by telling the lawyer that he had, in fact, gone down to the bank. He looked inside and he saw clean professional people walking around in shirts and ties and he knew there was no way they were going to cash that kind of check for someone as dirty as him. 
The lawyer then explained to him that the check would not be cashed based on the way he appeared, but rather based on the name on the check. Isn't that a beautiful picture? See, God's name's on the check, and the bank is Jesus Christ. We tell you, it's not anything that we do. It's what He's already done. He's already written the check and paid for it. God's names matter. The name of God matters. Jesus' name matters. And here He continues on now in verse 6. He's going to now change the focus of the prayer onto the disciples. I have manifested Your name to the men whom You have given Me out of the world. They were Yours. You gave them to Me. And they have kept Your Word. Now they have known all the things which You have given Me are from You. For I have given them the words which You have given Me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from You, and they have believed that You sent Me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. He's talking about Judas was lost. Judas is out making the transaction, the deal, selling Jesus. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus revealed eternal life to His followers, and He revealed His Father's name to them too as He lived. Remember, Jesus was fully man, but He was fully God as well. And He was going to broaden their horizons as to who God is. In the Old Testament, the Jews knew God as Yahweh, the Most High God. But when Jesus arrived on the scene, He called Himself new names. He's the Good Shepherd. He's the Light of the World. He's the Bread of Life, and and so on and so forth. We've heard so many ways that He's introduced Himself. And in so doing, Jesus revealed that God is the giver and provider of everything that man needs He is the Good Shepherd. He wants to care for us. He wants to lead us to green pastures. He's the light of the world. He wants to turn on the light for us. We were stumbling in the darkness before Christ, but when He came, He turned on the light of the world that we might view Him and we might desire Him and to know Him. And then He's the bread of life. He wants to feed our souls with everything we need to succeed in this life and to glorify Him. Additionally, God is revealed by the name Father, filling the whole in every human heart. The basic and innate essential desire to be loved by a father. And perhaps this morning that brings you pain because maybe your father was not all he should have been. But I can tell you this, you have a heavenly father that will give you everything you've ever desired from your father and much, much more. From chapters 13 to 17, John uses the name Father 53 times. And he uses it in total in his gospel 122 times. The Father is the main character of the story. 
Jesus used this name often when talking about God the Father. That was a term that the Pharisees were unfamiliar with. And then, of course, he followed up with the Son, him being the Son, and a claim which would eventually ignite the Pharisees' anger and drive them to arrest him and crucify him. The Hebrew word for name, and I just learned this in the last week in my studies here. I find this fascinating. The Hebrew word for name also means nature. Oftentimes, the names given to various Bible characters reveals their nature. The name Abraham means father of many nations. And of course, Abraham would grow up to be the father of both the Jewish and Arab nations. The name Isaac means laughter, for he would bring great joy to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. The name of Jesus means God is salvation. And of course, God came in the flesh as a baby in order to save you and I from our sins. Jesus said in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me. This means Jesus revealed. Manifest means to reveal or to make known the mystery. I like that one. It was a mystery. The Jew back then before Jesus, God was just this you know, person that was revered and respected and feared. And then Jesus went, he's more than that. Let me show you who he is. So he, he made known the mystery of the nature of his father to mankind. And of course, some listened and were saved and others rejected it and were lost for entitlements for believers. Entitlement one, we get to share eternal life with him. And number two, we get to know his true name. And entitlement number three, the entitlement of having his holy word in our hands. Maybe you have a, hopefully you have a Bible in your hands right now. This is God's word that we get to hold. Verse 13 and 19, Jesus continues the prayer. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them, the disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world because that's God's plan, that we would infiltrate the world. He says, I'm not not asking you to, to pull them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. See, as I said before, they're about to go through the worst 24 hours in their life, way beyond what they can imagine is going to happen. And Jesus is saying, God, just be with them. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one, for Satan is going to attack them like never before. Jesus, of course, said to Peter, Satan's asked for you, Peter. He wants to sift you like wheat. So Father, don't take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Bring holiness to occur in them. Sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. So that we know that the Word of God, truth, His truth, brings our sanctification. As You sent Me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify Myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. 
Through Jesus, we have God's word to show us how to live holy lives. I have given them your word, he said. He asked God to sanctify them by his truth. Your word is truth. Pilate, in just a few, in the next chapter, I believe, is going to begin to talk to Jesus. Actually, I think it's 19. Is going to begin to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, I came to bring the truth. And Pilate says, What is truth? Truth is relative. I have a truth. You have a truth. Everybody out there has a truth. What is truth? Jesus said, I'm truth. I brought it down from my Father. He gave it to me, and I give it to all men. That's the way we know the truth. God gave the gift of His Word to Jesus, who in turn gave it to His disciples, who in turn gave it to the billions of others through their written testimonies down through the ages. Thousands of years later, you were reading the truth that was given to the disciples and they wrote it down by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And yet, that's what we're reading today. We have God's written and spoken truth. God's Word is not just some letters compiled from ancient history that are curious to the human intellect. No, they're one of the most precious gifts ever provided to mankind. Listen, your Bible didn't come from the bookstore. Your Bible didn't come from Amazon. It came as a precious sacrifice written in the blood of our Savior and the blood of millions of martyrs down through the ages who risked it all so that you and I might sit here this morning to gaze upon the nature of God. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.